This episode of The Cutting Room is sponsored by Grass Valley's Edius 6. Check out the new Edius 6 at www.grassvalley.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week I finally have Lauren back. Yo, yo! So we have our new forward film review this week. This episode I'm going to be interviewing Jeff Bartz. Bartz is actually head of documentary at HBO. Cool. So if you're interested in documentaries and you're interested in HBO documentaries in particular, we're sitting down with the main guy. Awesome. What what sort of stuff does he do there in regards to documentaries? He cuts them, but he also heads up any any you know films that aren't finished and they want to work on. What I found fascinating though is when I interviewed him, he said, "Well, why don't we go into this room here?" And the two of us sat down and the room had maybe 30 Emmys in the background, uh, which was kind of nerve-wracking for an interview. Yeah, and was this while you are in LA, New York, where was it? This is down in New York, back in last June. Awesome. So this is, uh, enjoy my interview with Jeffrey Bartz. How did you get into film editing? Well, I got into it sort of by accident, but probably like a lot of people. (laughs) My dad was a biochemist, and I grew up around science. When it came time to choose a career, uh, I thought I would like to become a marine biologist because I'd spent a fair amount of time in Cape Cod. And so I was studying biology, but my friends were all English majors, and there was a film society at Notre Dame that actually had, it was was the largest film society in the country, had about 1,200 members, and they invited me to, you know, participate in it. And it was at a period in American film history where foreign films were really just beginning to be discovered. So we would rent and, and uh, screen Bergman films, Antonioni, Fellini, you know, all these great foreign film directors were right on the ver- cusp of being discovered by, particularly by college students. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with film. And I took the one class in film that, that was offered back then, this is at University of Notre Dame, and there was a, a, a film that they showed called, well, I call it Rushes from Gunsmoke because what they did is they showed the 10 minutes of Rushes from the old television series Gunsmoke and then three different editorial versions of the same stuff. And I thought, wow, I never realized that. I never realized that this stuff didn't just come out of the camera that way, that you actually made decisions, put it together. And I, I got a camera. I started making little movies on my own in the... Uh, and cutting them in the in the uh, trunk room of our dorm, and uh, I don't know. I just it was the most fun of anything I've ever done, and I just got obsessed with it. Eventually, I left biology and and told my dad. He was heartbroken, but I told him that I was going to go into film. You talk about the experimental, or not the experimental, but the foreign films coming in. There's a right. lot of experimentation in that. Do you find that you experiment a lot in your work, and was that an influence? That's a good question. I, I don't think of myself as being experimental, no. I, I mean, I went through, when I was in college, I, I did a lot of experimental films, like really crazy films. But when I got into documentary editing, I've, the thing that really preoccupied me was storytelling. And, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different ways to tell it, and some of them are experimental, but I don't think of myself as being highly experimental that way. I, I, I think of myself as really the key for me in editing is to arrest the audience's emotions, to grab them emotionally, 
and bring them into the story and then try to keep the story flowing in a way that they're inside of it all the time and that the story's never getting that they're never getting ahead of the story. I mean, I occasionally do things that might be considered experimental. In fact, the film I just cut, I used something that I saw in was a kind of experimental film back when I was a kid called The Pawnbroker, yeah. where they used, you know, Ralph Rosenblum used this flash cutting. And uh, this is a film about post-traumatic stress, so we used a little bit of that in, the, in this film. But yeah, I don't think I'm experimental in, like Antonioni or okay. Bergman or anybody like that. You mentioned about getting into the story or pulling the audience into the story. Yeah. Uh, what are some of your approaches to doing that, especially with footage that can you know, range over years of a person's life? What I try to do is try to find something in the dailies that intrigues me, that, that sort of suggests something interesting about the person or about the, the subject that's going to develop. And what I'm going to show tomorrow at the Edifest is a good example of that, that I was asked to cut a film that ended up being called Boy Interrupted about the suicide of a 15-year-old boy that was made by his mom. And we looked at, you know, almost 100 hours of home movies. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in there and a lot of just regular home movie stuff. <laughs> But there was one piece of film in there where the boy had, where the boy has the, has the camera and he's behind it and he goes around interviewing his parents and then goes and looks at his little brother asleep and then he turns the camera on himself and says, asks the question, am I good or am I bad? And I thought, you know, this is a no-brainer. This is the way the film's got to start. It just has that sense of First of all, it has a sort of expository quality to it because you meet all the main characters. Mm -hmm. It's also upbeat. It was on a family vacation, which is the opposite of the way you expect a film like that to start. And it ends with a, a sense of mystery. And off of that sense of mystery, I was able to kind of extrapolate a bunch of other ideas to, to begin the film. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's that kind of thing, something that's, that's intriguing. I'm thinking of this film, Shelter Dogs, that I worked on about a a woman who runs a dog shelter in upstate New York where she has to really screen the type of animals that she's willing to accept for adoption. Mm -hmm. And we begin with a lot of very vicious dogs in a cage and people returning their dogs because they can't handle them. And a sense of how complicated ethic ethically it is to run something like this, you know. But also with a lot of a lot of cards giving information too about mm -hmm. um, the number of dogs that are abandoned, the number of dogs that are euthanized, all that kind of stuff. Now you you talked about Boy Interrupted. Yeah. Uh, the mother was the director. The father did the cinematography. Right. Um, in this situation, how did you make sure that they were able to assess the footage uh, separate because they're so connected to the story? And it's a very rare situation where... Yeah, it's, it's, it's very rare. It's, in fact, it's so rare, oh, I never have to encounter <laughs> it again because it was really, really difficult. The film was really the mom, Dana's, passion. Uh, and she was the one that I dealt with in the cutting room. She, was, she made the film for a lot of different emotional reasons. And I always gave her a lot of credit for this. Uh, I don't know whether I'd been able to do it, but no matter what 
she would like to have had in the film because it showed a good side of her son or she liked it or it was a favorite photograph or whatever. She was always able, because she was a filmmaker, to discipline herself to, to realize that the story was bogging down if we did something like that. Mm -hmm. So she just had a discipline. Something most directors, or sorry, most editors might not get in a situation is this hundred hours of footage from the family. Uh, how did you go about structuring this or cutting this down and structuring it to get the hour in not you know in thirty minutes or ninety minute film? Well, actually, that that was just a hundred hours of the of the home yeah. movies. Then there was the interviews and um, some other verite footage they they shot with a psychiatrist and there was some other there was a lot of other verite footage. So there was probably altogether like 150 hours. The, the way I approach it is I don't try to make any preconceptions about anything. I just take the footage and I spend however long it takes with the producer or director, usually the same person, just screening everything. I used to take really detailed notes, but I stopped doing that about 10 years ago <laughs> because I realized I never bothered looking at them. But I use the screening process just to talk about things with them. You know, we discuss what they feel about a particular character or you know if it's if it's a, f a film like uh, I've worked on a lot of films about animal rights investigations so we talk about the issues involved with animal rights it's it's basically just like a, a long screening and bullshit session about the subject where you, you you're interested both visually and intellectually in what's this film going to be about mm -hmm. uh, after that I ask everybody to go away and I sit for however long it takes to cull that footage from uh, let's say 150 hours to 50 hours or maybe mm -hmm. even less. In other words I try to get it down to about a third of what it was originally and I try to select out of what I've viewed just the sections of the film that I think are really great shots and I so then I have 50 hours of selected footage that's not in any story sequence, but it's in a kind of, it's just simply chronological. But in, in doing that, you, you know, the, the pacing, the, the flavor of what could possibly be inside that footage begins to emerge because there's a lot less of it. In doing that, I also able to kind of arrange, you know, I, I cut on an avid, so using folders and bins and whatnot, try to arrange things by story. In other words, an example, uh, like in Shelter Dogs, there was a story of seven dogs. We ended up using only five of them. Each dog sort of represented a different aspect of what this woman had to deal with. The dogs were filmed over a long period of time. I would then create bins and folders for each dog and the different progress of the dog. So there's a story in this bin of a dog named Fred and another one, dog named Irene, or I forget the names of all the dogs, but and then uh, I did this with the interviews for the director of the, of the place. I also cut them down to just sort of the nuggets of the interview and arranged it by subject. So regardless of where she is and what she's wearing or whatever, I gather it by subject so that I have that material to, to go to because a lot of it's going to be structured by voiceover anyway. Mm -hmm. So that that takes me a long time. It's really tedious, and uh, I'm glad it when it's over because <laughs> then you can really start editing. But for me, if I don't go through that that discipline of calling and arranging and think and beginning to arrange things and what I think might 
develop as a story, I feel I would be overwhelmed if you just start cold with the with the dailies. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like the best explanation of how to get your footage down. I think uh, for students. Yeah, I, I, whenever I've taught film, I've always really, really emphasized that that um, it's a trap, the luring trap. But I think it's a trap to just screen your dailies and then start cutting, trying to cut scenes. Some people will do this. Some people like to do this. Some people would prefer to approach by just cutting scenes. But I, for me, I feel it's better to have an overview of everything before you start. And in, in making the selects and disciplining yourself to actually create little shots that, that are really good, you know, have a good entrance and exit, you almost are creating like little scenes, but you're creating scenes for everything before you get going. So you have a better understanding of the overall thing in case you want to interweave stuff early on. So in Boy Interrupted, just to jump back for a sec, yeah. and in a couple of the films I've watched of yours, a lot of it is with someone who's passed away. Um, and one of the traps, or one of the troubles I've, I've heard, um, I've only worked on one doc where someone's passed away, and the troubles we had were the person's no longer there to sort of tell their side of the story. Everything's right from everyone else's perspective, and nothing, in a sense, you're always looking back, and there's nothing hmm. moving forward for a trajectory for the doc. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you overcome something like that? Well. Th- yeah, but see what you have going for you in, that, in this, and this is uh, where it's key to not give away too much too soon. In a story like that, what you have going for you is how did he die? What happened? What brought this boy who looks so charming that, to this state? So in a sense, you do have a journey. You know, mm-hmm. It's just a different kind of journey. It's not a journey to a contest, but it's a journey to the moment uh, where he dies, and, and, and perhaps an un- uh, understanding of what it was that brought him to that that point. So that's that's the thing that propels the film. Mm-hmm. And you can't give away like you've got to withhold as long as possible the story of how he died because that's what's holding the audience's interest. Mm-hmm. They know that's coming, and they know it's going to be tough. But they they that's what their the journey is towards that understanding. There was another thing in that film which was the death of his uncle, that we also consciously decided to withhold exactly what had happened to the uncle as long as we possibly could so that when it's revealed you have a better understanding of, of where the boy was at in his life. And also, to me it always felt like uh, a bit of a Greek tragedy, that this boy in some sense was, was fated Mm-hmm. like his uncle, to die. And so we wanted to withhold that story of the uncle as long as we possibly could. So that was my interview with Jeff Bartz. At least that was part one of my interview with Jeff Bartz. Lauren? Yeah? Uh, what's new on the uh, forward film review front? Well, um, you tell me. You, you're the one that you've taken off without me, haven't you? Yes, well, Nathan won. Okay, congratulations, Nathan. And Nathan is a fellow Torontonian. Oh, good. And uh, he actually was at our pub night last week. Fantastic. Yeah, so... Rock on, Nathan. Yeah, and he got a t-shirt. For the forward film review. Yeah, and we had tons of stuff given away at the uh, pub night. Yeah. We're working on another one. We're seeing if we can do one in Boston. I don't know if we will. 
I'd like to go to Boston. Oh yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, yeah. so we want to try one in Boston, but we're not too sure if we'll be able to execute it. Awesome. Well, not, not awesome. awesome. Sorry. So, uh, Did anyone win the iPad? Not yet. Or there's a very it. good reason. Uh, I'm on your side, guillotiners. I'll find out. I'll get to the bottom of this. So tell yes, me. The iPad is still up for grabs, and the reason is is because we hit a small road bump in the programming for the app, and we're now just adding some geolocation systems to it. Cool. So we can't explain what the geolocation systems do and why yet, but we received some lovely information from Apple suggesting we add it. Lovely. Yes. And um, guillotiners, you'll be happy to know, Gord would never have told you that, but I had my heavy go in. He was biting his finger the whole time. Thank you, Buster. Now we have the answer. Oh, and now Buster's on me. Okay, yeah. perfect. And I'd like to say hi to Glenn because he's awesome. And sometime we'll get over there to Denver. And, well, we were uh, in Denver, just in the airport. Right. Yeah, if you want to meet us in the airport. Glenn heard us talk about wanting to do more pub nights in other towns, but uh, needing places to sleep. And uh, he said we had a place to sleep in Denver, Colorado, if we ever go. Which is fantastic. I know. I love it when people email us to... Um, comment on the podcast or well mostly because of the podcast because that's the only thing that I'm really involved in <laughs> and that gives me feedback on myself and I love when people are um, connecting with you about you know what they've heard or what they want or what they like because it lets us know that there are actually people out there downloading uh, of course like, like there are numbers that represent that but it's awesome to know that people are listening yeah. and engaged and also we want like this is for everybody, not just for us, obviously. So if there's something that you were hoping to hear or or if there's an opportunity you see that like you should be interviewing so-and-so, then you just let us know. Yes, and you know who else got in touch with me? It was the Avid Toronto Editors. Because mm -hmm. they wanted to let anyone know who's in the vicinity of Toronto. They're bringing in, or bringing in Wayne Warman to talk about his work in 3D. Mm -hmm. So... If you're in Toronto or nearby, within a drive's distance, mm -hmm. uh, pop on in. Yeah, for sure. Check it out. Where is it being held? Do you know? uh, it is at Pinewood Studios. If you are putting on an event in your town mm -hmm. and you want us to let people know, just send us an email. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or um, conversely, if you are, maybe not conversely, but maybe just in addition to that, um, if you are in a town that you don't feel has a lot of editing representation and you want to be putting on an event but it's just you and you're not sure that you can do it on your own, who knows, maybe we could have some uh, people in the field set things up and we could help them with some advertising and stuff. Yeah, and it could be like Art of the Guillotine sponsored event, event or Art of the Guillotine advertised event. All Everyone's town should have some sort of uh, resources and, and uh, meetups so that yeah. people can get together, you can network, but you can also just commiserate about what you're dealing with and yeah, what you're working on. October 27th, uh, the Boston Super Meet's occurring. So if you're in the Boston area, make sure to check that out. Awesome. They also emailed me. Sorry, I got a lot of emails. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I felt badly because the Avid guy said, how come you haven't gotten back to us in a couple of days? And I was like, well, I'm averaging 100 emails a day. Yep. <laughs> but Lauren. Yes. So Nathan, congratulations! Yes. That was a long. That was a wow. We diverted. Of, we yeah. That got out of hand fast. Conversational cul-de-sac, as they yeah. say. So a nice one. Yeah, thanks. Um, so yeah, Nathan, well done. Sorry I missed it, but it sounds like it was great. And now for the new clue, 
-hmm. So this is our forward film review. This is the this first is, clue. This is the first clue for this film. So if you're just joining us, then you've got just as much of a chance as everybody else. So the clue is rugs, drugs, and thugs. Rugs, drugs, and thugs. Yep. And how do they get that into us if they know? Um, best bet is to email info at artoftheguillotine.com or um, you could send it to us over Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash artguillotine or um, we're on Twitter at artguillotine. So try any of those venues or avenues or vehicles or other uh, transportation uh, metaphors. And... Um, yeah, and we, we, we're just, uh, we've just reached the end of TIFF here in town. Um, unfortunately, life's been kind of nutty, so we didn't have a chance to go, but we were in the middle of the festivities. In fact, last weekend we walked out of our, uh, of our condo and directly in front of us, not even, I didn't even have to take one single step, there was an elephant on our street. Yeah, celebrating, there's a movie about elephants apparently. Yeah, I don't really know. I haven't even looked to see what film that was, but there seemed to be some sort of Indian dancing and mm -hmm. stuff. And yeah, there's an elephant yeah, on the street. Kind of a lot of stereotypes of India. Yeah, yeah. But, you know. know. If you're from India and you're listening to this, uh, don't worry, we didn't support the stereotypes. But if you're from India and that was your film. We support not, the film, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have no, we didn't even see it because we didn't know what it was. But if we had known, we would have gone for sure. Yeah. So... I'd like to thank uh, Jeff Barts. I'd like to thank Lauren Woodcock, my producer, the American Cinema Burkell, Editor. Burkell, Burkell. The American Cinema Editor, Jenny McCormick, and of course the Manhattan Edit Workshop who helped uh, put on Edit Fest New York. I'm Gordon Burkell. I'm Lauren Woodcock, Burkell. Thanks for listening.